an ad for something I actually like. That's a turnout for the books. Burbaker Unlimited Moat Builders will provide your keep, castle, or hovel with a secure defensive system. Choose from their wide range of moat fillers, including lava, piranha schools, sharks, acid zombies, boiling tar, or water. How mundane. Anyway, buy one moat, get a free drawbridge while stocks last. I think I'll get one myself. Maybe it'll stop those horrible kids throwing eggs at my laboratory. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is Pete Coffee from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. Russ has ever it continues to be after two long, long years, an absolute delight to be here. <laughs> you're you're a good liar, Peter. I know, I'm the best. <laughs> no, but I do enjoy it. I, otherwise, I wouldn't keep coming back. It's the same thing I always tell myself when my players keep on showing up for my games. No matter how bad a job I think I've done. <laughs> well, we're not alone. We have um, a very, very tired-looking guest because it's 6 a.m. for him. <laughs> and he's staring at us with bleary eyes. And I can tell that behind those eyes, he's cursing us <laughs> for waking him up at such a horrid, <laughs> horrid hour of the morning. But the welcome worst. back for, I think, the third time now, uh, Keith Baker, maker Woo! of Eberron. Yay! Good morning. Hi, Keith. If it is a good morning, <laughs> which I very much doubt. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is a pleasant afternoon here. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. it is an early, early, early morning for you. Oh, yes. Oh. It's an early morning, and I'm in Oregon, which is on fire at the moment. So, you oh, know. Dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. That's, right. that's not good. Should we, should we crack on? Uh, so, yeah, Keith yeah. is going to be announcing the winners of the contest uh, that we had three weeks ago. I want to no, say three weeks ago. I think that's right now. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. A number of weeks ago. It took that long to figure it out. I mean, I've just been reading them oh. every morning. I get up and, and you know, go through the whole list, and, and it's just, it's been agonizing. And I've seen the oh. spreadsheet you use. It's, it's very it's, tough. It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a complicated oh, process. Being put, yeah. But, <laughs> but we got uh, there eventually. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to finding out more about what's going on. That'd be great. Okay mm-hmm. then. Well, let's let's jump into the uh, jump into the news now, and we'll we'll do we'll announce those winners a little later. We'll force everybody to listen to the news before we uh, uh, before we announce them because we're we're ew, evil like that. that. Mm-hmm. Yes, all this horrible RPG news. Who would want to listen to anything like that? Well, there are some people who do tune in and are like, "This RPG news podcast has far too much RPG news." <laughs> in it. I disapprove. Yeah. I'm like, hmm. Mm. <laughs> Right, well, let's start with Icewind Dale, shall we? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Rhyme of the uh, Frost Maiden. So, um, yes. the Gaming Gang, which is a YouTube channel, yes, has a copy of the book, and Ooh. they uh, unboxed the book in the sense that they paged through every single page of the book on their YouTube channel. Wow. So you okay. can sit there and watch, uh, it's a fairly lengthy video as they page through the entire book. And a lot of it, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't quite make out all the words because it's not, uh, it's not, you know, super zoomed in or anything. But you do get to have a look through the entire book. I, I think, uh, Sly Flourish yeah. did that with, with Exploring Eberron, which is a 240 page book. 
Yeah, yeah. it's a thing that people do. I, yeah, it, it's I, sort of a thing I, now, I think. I've never sat through one. I don't know. I can't, I, watching yeah, someone flip through a book isn't, isn't my, my thing, but... Uh, but people do, people do. Um, and uh, this this particular flip through, I did pull out a few quick pages from it. I just kind of like uh, scrubbed through it and looked for things mm-hmm. that looked interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have got what I did manage to find was Oriel's stats, mm-hmm. and Oriel has three forms, as you know. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, a sort of big owlberry type thing. I'm not sure what 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 the form actually is. It's a big snowy beast-like owlberry type thing what is a it owl. a snow bear owl yes have, so yeah have we ever yes. have we ever had a, a bear owl like basically just the reverse where it's like a little owl with a bear's head on an it? owl bear yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i'm just saying you know where's the rest of it basically my my D games question. are populated exclusively by bear owls bear owls i don't know if people play anything else and all the all the villains and monsters are all bear owls too I mean, some people say it's samey, but I, I think it's just like a commitment to a theme. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> then, we have the, then we have the second uh, form, which is uh, sort of a, a young uh, sorceressy woman. Made entirely of ice? Uh, appears to be made entirely of ice. And yes. the third one is like a floating crystal. Oh, yes, yes. The, quote, womb of winter, unquote. It doesn't, I can't actually see those words there. Oh, okay, that was in some of the material that was released about it. Um, yeah. bear, bear in mind, I'm squinting really hard at something that's a bit out of focus, uh, so I'm not saying for certain those words are not there. Yeah, just, yeah. Right. If you, you just read, savers. if you just read the pre-release material, like some people here, uh, oh. then you know that that's what it's called. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there's also a brain in a jar. Stats for a brain in a jar, which is lovely. Didn't we already have stats for Brain in a Jar? Or was Did that we? just a previous edition? I know that that uh, that there have definitely been official wizard stats for Brain in a Jar, but it might have been, maybe it was third. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, all right. If, if we have, I'm not familiar with it, but that no. doesn't mean anything, quite frankly, when it comes to me. All right, should we find some more news? Let's move on. Maybe. More news? That's madness. There's not um, a lot more news, to be fair. It's there, quite, there quite are, weird. There uh, are reviews of Raman the Frostmaiden, which report that it includes encounters with dragons, doppelgangers, and elephants, as well Ooh. as a sentient sperm whale. Well, don't we know? Well, aren't there, like, gnome-sized, like, pint-sized elephants? Like, I feel like there's gnome lithids uh, or something like that. There should be. <laughs> if, if there aren't, there, there should be. We should create one. Well, why wouldn't there be? Because you get transformed into an elephant, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think that so. Why would, if a gnome are. got transformed, yeah, yeah, or halflings, little halfling mind player, yeah, Aww. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I, I wouldn't play that because, sense. as you know, I exclusively only play things populated entirely by bear owls. So, no, there uh, you go. But right. the bear owl mind flare, now that's <laughs> there. Now you're talking, and they can Ooh. fly. It's scary stuff. That is some scary a, stuff. That is, I'm, that's a big I'm, thinking there. I'm intrigued. Are you announcing your next product there? Oh, yeah. is, that, yeah, yeah. is that what I should read into this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, only on Morris's unofficial <laughs> tape this an exclusive? talk. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> right, what else have we got in the news? Peter Pan. Peter Pan. It's oh. a Peter Pan D&D 5th edition setting. Hmm. And it's available for pre-order. And is it uh, aimed at adults or kids? Or 
Um, I'm just looking at it now. So it's being produced by uh, Andrews McNeil Publishing, mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, which is, I believe, a mainstream book publisher, which has recently been starting to move into RPG publishing. Yeah, no, they, that's interesting. Uh, All right. Because uh, they have uh, Zweihander, you know that? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, by Daniel that, Fox. Yeah, yeah, you know that game. Uh, so they've got that, and um, I think they've got a couple of others as well. So they're starting to sort of move into the RPG area. Interesting. Uh, so here we have, it's up for pre-order. Uh, it's by award-winning designer Andrew Kolb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's coming out in October for $25. And hmm. looking at it, it's very, very stylized. Mm-hmm. Like the artwork, it's got kind of uh, parchment-coloured, like, yellow pages. Not yellow, it's the wrong word, beige. Beige is a better word. Beige pages with a lot of black and white, sort of solid black artwork. Like, silhouette artwork. It's interesting to me, I mean, the couple things that, that come to mind immediately is I'd, I'd be much more likely to go after Oz or Wonderland first, just because I don't mm. feel like Peter Pan has, you know, Never Neverland. I don't feel like it's exceptionally deep in its array of threats and, and uh, peoples. But, but there's already a Neverland setting out there for 5e. Uh, Di- yeah, Neverland yeah. Impossible Island by Diana Gator. That's what I'm saying. Oh. It's an island. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not yeah. that big. Uh, but also, I'm just curious because, so are you playing Lost Boys? I mean... Uh, that's why I was asking if it was for kids. Is I know that Peter Pan is not just a, you know, yeah. there's more to the story than just literally, you know, for kids. And yet at the yeah. same time, I would expect that your protagonists would be kids. And mm-hmm. and so I'm just curious. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll, we'll see what they do with it. But but like uh, I said, you take something like Wonderland or Oz, and I feel like, oh, they've got vast, yeah. you know, I mean, arrays of things to explore. The fluff text says, Lost boys and girls alike will find endless adventure, lovingly adapted from the tales of Peter Pan and tailored for an older audience. Well, okay. So, I don't know. No. I do not know. I cannot answer those questions, but... There it is. Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Also, we did a Peter Pan in Mythological Figures and Maleficent Monsters. There's some stats for Peter Pan. Well, and sure, and see, that makes sense to me. What I'm saying is it's, it's not that I don't think you could adapt Peter, you know, Peter Pan or that it wouldn't make an interesting adventure, as you said, with Neverland as an island to explore. I'm just not sure I see it as a whole campaign setting. Yeah, it feels like an adventure rather than a setting. I get what you mean. Like, yeah, a decent length adventure. You could probably do, I now, I mean, the, the interesting That'd thing to me, sure, you know, that'd be fine. Uh, the interesting question to me is if you stay on the island or if you can go to London or oh. something like that. I oh. mean, if you travel oh, beyond no. the island, okay, now we got lots of possibilities. I kind of oh. feel like these terms like setting, adventure, storyline, are kind of aren't quite as delineated as they used to be anyway. Oh. I think people just kind of mix and match them a little oh. bit. So it could... It could just be an adventure, and they've just well, called yeah, it a setting. and if they mean an adventure like Rhyme of the Fosh Maiden, you know, if it's a, a mm-hmm. so to speak, what we would have called an adventure path, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's to me, if it's just saying, no, this is just supposed to be a setting in which you make up your own stories indefinitely, you know, endless adventure, I don't know, mm. it's just not, it's just not, if I was looking at public domain fantasy, it's not, one of, wouldn't be one of my first choices. Hmm. Well, let's wait till it comes out and we'll find out. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess now it's an adventure. Even though it says setting, I'm going to guess. Just from what you're saying, it doesn't make sense so much as a setting, does it? No, not so much. But 
we don't know. We shall have to wait and see. So is this coming out as a released thing, or is it Kickstarter? Uh, uh, yeah, it's coming out in October, and you can pre-order it now. Exciting times. Yeah. Uh, so Pathfinder has launched another playtest. For what? So there was the Starfinder playtest, which is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. If you recall that one recently, but they've got uh, two classes that you can play test, Ooh. and these are from uh, the Secrets of Magic hardcover, which is coming out in July twenty twenty one, and the the two classes are the Magus and the <laughs> Summoner. Uh-huh. So the Magus is uh, uh, spells a warrior mage hybrid type uh-huh. fighter fighter wizard type. Uh, and mm-hmm. the summoner obviously is about her, uh, summoning uh, cool sidekicks and stuff like that. Is that obvious? I would have, you know, I would have thought like, you know, it could have been a lot of things. You know, maybe the they cast Fireball. No, I'm just kidding. It's nah. pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. I'd be interested to see how that worked. Like getting lots of minions, but without them having completely overbalancing the game. And it just being mm-hmm. the, oh, great, it's Bob the Summoner's turn. Well, the summoner in previous editions, and I can't tell you whether this summoner does it because I haven't actually downloaded the actual playtest yet. But in previous editions, uh, you you would have like uh, uh, an eidolon. I think that's how you pronounce the word: e i d o l o n. And um, so you literally have one sidekick, not a whole, not like fifty badgers or something. Yeah, but that sidekick could be fifty badgers in a suit uh, of armor. A, a swarm of badgers. Uh, that's, that's the other thing I, I, I insist on in all of my games. Bear owls and badger swarms. I won't play a game without bear owls and badger swarms. That's the yeah. <laughs> uh, But anyway, yeah, so the, the uh, Eidolon kind of uh, works in alongside you and they, um, they sort of share health with you. And yeah, it's kind of an extension of you. Huh. And uh, the Majors, yeah, it's basically a fighter wizard type. Mm-hmm. But you can you can play test those until October the sixteenth, and then you fill out the surveys, tell them what they think, and tell them what you think. And they even. come and tell take them, what them they away think. from you at that point. They come to uh, your yeah, house. They come to your, and they they come take to your it house. Off your hard they, drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They delete your hard drive. They if you printed it out, um, they uh, they burn them in front. They rip they rip the threads in front of you and then burn them just to make sure. Yeah, if you tattooed right. them onto your flesh, they will cut them off. <laughs> oh, that's. They don't want that. They'll I just tried that the, with the last playtest. Uh, it was not pretty. Uh, and then they've got you know those Men in Black pens that erase your memory. Yeah. <laughs> they use they use those too. I mean, this whole podcast is going to get erased because we mentioned it. Dang it! <laughs> what are you thinking? No, well, at least we've got to October eighteenth. Damn it! Uh, and also, it makes me wonder what they're doing as a games company because we make a lot of money with those. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Uh, right, the Alien RPG. Ooh, yes. So, uh, that one from Free League that you like? Uh, yes, the one from Free League that I like. Yes. Uh, the Destroyer of Worlds module is now available. That is a promising name. It is an excellent name. I mean, uh, that there are worlds to be destroyed. Yeah, so uh, the uh, module you play Colonial Marines deployed on a moon called uh, Ariaric. Uh, Ari- <laughs> Ariaricus. <laughs> so what was that? Ariaricus to quell an uprising before you find yourself finding horrors you never dreamed of. They're probably aliens, aren't they? It's it seems like yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get 
<coughs> you get the scenario manual, so the adventure book. You get a double-sided map, big old double-sided nice. map, uh, five pre-generated characters, bunch of custom weapons, vehicles, personal agenda cards and handouts, and it costs twenty nine ninety nine, and it's a botched set. Mm-hmm. Which is very nice. Yes. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, so talking about that Andrews McNeil doing Neverland. Mm-hmm. So uh, another, another because they've got Zyke, uh, not Zyke, uh, Zweihander. Mm-hmm. They've got Neverland. They've also, you know, the Swordsfall uh, RPG, which is the Afropunk one mm-hmm. from Brandon Dixon. Okay. Uh, so this is, it's kind of like a, Art book and RPG, and it, uh, it funded really well on Kickstarter. I think it was like last year, I can't remember when. Um, they've uh, signed a deal with Andrews McNeil, so Andrews McNeil will be publishing that also. That so it looks like they're being quite Clearly, aggressive. I just need to make there. a deal with Andrews Mc- Andrew McNeil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All the best people are. So it's them, and it, who, who, it was fandom, wasn't it? Who used to be Wikia? Mm, who's like mm, picking up right. licenses left, right, and centre at the moment? They're, they're doing a mm. bit of a modifius, I think. Oh wow, they're attempting. <laughs> Pair of limitations of the all-encompassing <laughs> Leviathan. This is modifius. Uh, yes, ah. yes, the modifius who publish every game ever made and every game that will ever be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also doing a bit of distribution for EM Publishing as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, some, not all of it, some of it, yeah. Uh, I, I said a bit, I said a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cyberpunk Red is finished. Oh, yes. So that's uh, the uh, tabletop RPG prequel to Cyberpunk 2077, mm-hmm. which nice. is the video game. And our Talsorian Games' Mike Pondsmith uh, has confirmed that it is now fully written. Right. It's now going through a final round of edits, and then presumably, I mean, it's a little bit late, but there's been a mm. pandemic. So, you know, yeah, that happens. Yeah. We'll give them a pass. Yeah. 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 So, presumably, it's coming to, coming to stores pretty soon. Mm. I don't know when exactly. But at some point. At some point, yeah. 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 Well, soon. Yeah. So, before Christmas. Or maybe. Probably. I wouldn't want to say. Let's not put words into their mouth. No. Mm-hmm. Well, that all sounds very exciting. Yeah. Um, have, have you got anything else on? Have you seen Drive-Thru RPG's facelift? Have I seen it? Mm. I've, I've been on Drive-Thru RPG several times already today, and it's completely passed me by. Actually, if you go to a Drive-Thru RPG, at the top, there's a link to a sneak preview of their new oh. look. All right, then. So you click on the link. So Drive-Thru RPG, yeah. for those who don't know, but I'm sure everybody does, is basically the largest online RPG download store on the planet yeah. by uh, several orders of magnitude as well too <laughs> anyway have you, have you seen this this uh, delightful facelift upgrade it's it's brighter bigger the pictures are bigger uh, well they, they've made the logo smaller so I suppose that takes up less space yeah. and they've got sort of a but weird... the product covers are at least twice the size they were they Oh, yes. Which I think is it a good is all thing. about the product. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It does well, mean there's less things on the page, but I always found the drive through front page had so much stuff on it. You kind of ended up with that paralysis of choice thing where there was just too much, oh. too much there. Yes, it was busy. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, uh, and what I do like is at the bottom, they've got newest titles and hottest small publishers. Yeah, they have that on the, uh, on the old... There's, there's nothing new there. Well, it's that just laid shows out how much yeah. I remember, doesn't yeah. it? yeah. 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 Um, now I'm actually noticing that it's sort of so, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
I guess it but, makes it easy to find stuff. Yeah, so, I don't yeah. know. I don't know when this is going to go live. Mm. All right. Maybe never no, because we mentioned that playtest. Oh no! Uh, so Damn problem. it! Damn it, Keith! Uh, you had one job. <laughs> Keith, Not insisting on bringing up the playtest. I don't know. What playtest? Well, what playtest? There's no playtest. Where am I? <laughs> yeah. It's not the playtest we're looking for. Move along. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. I think we might be nearly done there. Uh, should we talk quickly oh. about the level up playtest? No, play I don't test? think so. Let's not bother. No, let's not do that. Oh, right. it's, it's, <laughs> okay, fine. It's, it's, it's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. So that launched last Friday. We, was it only uh, last Friday? It was only last Friday, yeah. And it was yes. the first playtest document. It was 75 pages long, which is enormous. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I think it was It was kind of... Because you couldn't really present the origin system without presenting the entirety of it. Like, after that, it's you fair. can do individual classes and stuff. But you can't, you can't give someone an individual heritage and just that without the rest of it, because it doesn't make sense. So, so the level up um, playtest went live. It's been live for about a week. Uh, some of the surveys have already gone out. So, uh, so far, the playtest has been downloaded by about nine thousand people, which is a lot of people. I mean, it's not like on a wizards or a Python scale, but it's we're very, very happy with that. Very happy. You should be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, since we we didn't mention it on the podcast until basically it was started. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, you kept it secret <laughs> on your news channel for uh, literally months. Oh, no, 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 no. We mentioned yeah. it every week, but your memory was wiped every week, so you forgot. Uh, of course. That's why. Yeah. Oh, you've, been play, you've been playtesting this for a year, Peter, didn't you know? No. Please <laughs> escape me. Well. Wow. That's what's been happening. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, we've got thousands of people are participating in the surveys oh. as well. Which is awesome. We're getting so much data from those surveys. Because those surveys, you know, they wouldn't work if only a dozen people answered the answered the surveys. You need you need the volume of people and it's really yeah, it's really gratifying that we've literally got thousands of people answering those surveys. Yes. I'm a little surprised by Essence Dragons as well as the Gem Dragons. Mm. But I've grown to accept them in all their multicolored glory. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I worked out and you could have Encounters with 60 distinct individual dragons, which didn't have the same qualities. Excellent. Yeah, I thought I'd share. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, um, it 80? It's a lot of dragons. <laughs> so, so surveys are going out in pairs, two heritages yeah. in each time, because I don't want to overwhelm people with a sort of 100, 100 question survey on a 75 page document. It's just too much. So every every couple of days we're putting out uh, putting out a new survey on a on a pair of pair of heritages. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited because Captain Carrot from Terry Pratchett's Guards Guards is a brilliant character, <laughs> and they're basically a human raised by dwarfs. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, I can be a human. You can literally raised by do dwarfs. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't know what it's like. Surely this is all tens all round, just so you can do that. Yeah, yeah. So we digress. We do digress, and we should never do that. Yeah, we don't digress on this podcast. Yeah. It's all forwards all the time. Yeah, no, there's no... Sometimes your long, rumbling runts, yeah. Boris. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, would you like an owlbear trophy figure, or a bear owl trophy figure, which you can decorate your living room with? Not really, yes. but okay. <laughs> so, oh. it's a foam rubber mounted head trophy. Ooh. Okay. You can stick it on your wall. It's 23 inches tall. Crikey. 
on a wooden mount. Of course. <laughs> you can already get a Red Dragon one, a Black Dragon one, a Mind Flayer one, and a Beholder one. So this is the newest. This is the... But Beholders are surely just all heads. I think, I mean, yeah. Let, me, let yeah. me click on the Beholder one and see if I can find out what the Beholder one looks like. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a head. Yeah. 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 It's just an actual beholder glued <laughs> onto the wall. Yeah. It's a beholder <laughs> glued onto a piece of wood, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway. Anyway, if yeah. if you did want one of those, which clearly you do not, but if you did, it would only cost you, guess how much? $120. No. Higher. Oh, $200. Higher. What? I know, right? Uh, $300. Higher. No. <laughs> Get out. What? $449.99. How big is this thing? 23 inches tall. And it's made oh. out of solid gold? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's made out of diamond. <laughs> no, it's made uh, of foam uh, rubber. It's okay. 23 inches of a foam rubber for, uh, for $450. I can't help think it'd be cheaper and easier to go and hunt your own bear out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have kindly painted it for you, so... Oh, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, 24 inches that. That's pretty big as well. That's I mean, like, what's that the, is, that is what's the yeah. cost per inch? So you're talking, like, $20 per, per yeah. inch? It yeah. says it weighs between 16 and 18 pounds. So, like, 17 pounds then, I guess? All right, so, uh, you know, around $3 a pound. <laughs> okay, so that's, what, about 8 kilos? I don't know. Okay, so like small dog. Yeah. Like a small dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Would you like a small dog on your on your living room wall? I'd rather have a small dog than that thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I'm sure it's very nice as people would like it, but it's like <laughs> Now wait a second. So is it is it a trophy like the head of an owl bear mounted on, on the wall? Yeah, you know, like you get so like deer heads. Isn't it and... just a giant owl? Yes. I mean, it's just an owl head, yeah. <laughs> you were looking at it, you've got no way of knowing there was a bear part. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying people come like, no, it's an owl, you killed a big owl. That was a big owl, you killed. Yeah. <laughs> what? No, that's a really good size point. What size of owl has a two-foot head? <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. this is an, a giant owl trophy then, okay? Congratulations. <laughs> like, do Double Duty has a giant owl bear or a giant owl trophy? I mean, quite frankly. Or you could have one of each. Uh, you see, this one's a giant owl bear, and this one's a giant owl. They look very similar, I grant you, but... <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Are either of you two familiar with something called Tigtone? Tigtone? Tigtone, T-I-G-T-O-N-E. Oh, nice. Something nope. to do with Adult Swim, and it's called Tigtone, The Never Stopping Prophecy. Nope. Oh, I assumed you're just mispronouncing TikTok. Mm. Yeah, me too. Word. That's totally what I yeah. thought. Nope. Tigtone. Oh, yeah. I thought yeah. it was like the British version of TikTok. <laughs> yes. Tigtone is the British version of TikTok. <laughs> Much more respectful. <laughs> I'm going to register that trademark right now, actually. What's someone else done? <laughs> I'm going to be a millionaire, finally. Uh, so, so Adult Swim, I think, does cartoons, if I recall. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. They are, yeah. They're the source of things like Venture Brothers and, and Rick and Morty. Okay. Well, for those people who know what Tigtone is, which does not include any of us three, 
<laughs> you can get a 5e compatible adventure based upon it. Uh, it's a parody fantasy animated series. Yeah. Oh, it looks all claymation-y. Is it? I don't know. A little, not full claymation? i got to say, it's a bit funny, and there's some guy who's shouting a lot. Well, I, I love the idea of just making minis out of out of Play-Doh and then, like, the DM gets to, like, squash them. When that's they an excellent idea. Big mutilate. Oh, I yeah. love that. That's, oh, I think that's a brilliant plan. Well, anyway, you Kate can download... It's an intense and high-strung adventurer with penchant for the overdramatic and a murderous obsession for quests. Yeah. Well, you can download the PDF for free, and there is uh, a box set. There's 100 box set and a contest to win one of those 100 box sets. And they include the adventure, two minis, and a custom dice set. And you can't buy them. There's only 100 of them, apparently. Okay. So if you are a fan of TikTok and you're a fan of D&D. Yes. And you're a fan of TikTok. And you're a fan of TikTok or TikTok, the British version of TikTok. You make a little TikTok of yourself playing the TikTok RPG. Wow. Yeah, there you go. That is so meta. So meta. Yeah. Uh, Right. I think we are done now. All right. I cannot We've see made any. it through. Our long national nightmare is over. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to play our favorite game. It's time to play the game. Our favorite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. Oh, uh, right. Shall we, shall we play our favorite game in all yes. the world? Yes. This is what you really got up for, wasn't it, Keith? That is what I really got up for. I've been training for weeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so our, our favorite game in the world is the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Who would like to go first? I, I defer oh, to Peter. Oh, well, um, I, okay. uh, uh, as you have played before, you can go first. Although I should warn you, this is a poison chalice. Oh, I'll, I'll follow. I'll follow your example. It's okay. been a while, and yeah. I'm tired. I understand. All okay. right, then. Peter, are you ready? I was born ready. Let's make it happen. Okay Ooh. then. What is Arium? A R I U M. Well, obviously, it's the metal that pirates are made from. Because uh, you must it's actually Arium. Arium. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, on, it's, on, it's on the table of elements, it's on the periodic table. Yes, yes, it's a uh, symbol A-R-I. It's next to A-H exclamation mark, which is A, which, as you know, is the element of surprise. Mm. <laughs> oh, a proper face palm from Ow. Russ. Happy day. Oh. <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I'm going to recover from that. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes of Peter laughing at his own joke later. That was vicious. I'm actually not laughing at my joke. I'm laughing at your reaction mm. to it, which is even better. And um, I'm laughing at your reaction, so you know. Uh, it's a chain of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, Arian. No, Arian. Sorry. Arian. I've now stuck on Metallic Pirates, which is a bad place to be in this game. That's a, that's a game I play. I would totally play Metallic Pirates. Metallic Pirates playing Fresh Death Metal. Um, that's the only possible thing that I can now go with uh, as they make their way uh, across the seas, um, playing a combination of all sorts of different metals uh, with the occasional bit of screaming death metal as well. 
I'm not just saying that because I've been watching too much Regrets Go lately. Um, and what they're actually recovering for loot is uh, livers and samples of blood because they're trying to rebuild their flesh bodies after having been cursed to become these metal pirates, which is a dreadful thing to have happen to you when you spend a lot of time on the sea in case you fall off and you're like, oh, I have to walk. Hmm. <laughs> right, would you like to know What's what Arian would you like to know what Arian is about? Yeah. Okay. It looks like it's a generic RPG. So okay. Arian is an answer to a simple question. Why play in someone else's sandbox when the whole group can have a blast creating their own? So you get two books. One's called Arium Create. Sorry, I can't say it without doing the pirate thing now. Oh, it's pronounced Arium. No, it's pronounced Arium. No. Anyway, you track on. <laughs> yeah, really, seriously, Russ. Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that contains a system for creating your own Arium uh, in, over, in a period of one to two hours. That's the first yes. book. And then the second book... Uh, which is called Arium Discover. Uh, that will work with any world. You can take your favourite TV series or homebrew setting or movie or novel and adapt it to run with a streamlined T6-based system. That's uh, unfortunately, Peter, you scored zero points. Okay, there's a chance. I can make there is a chance. Out. There is a chance. We can do this, Keith. Okay. Uh, Go on. Uh, you got this. And you only need to score one point, Keith, in order to, in order, in order to draw right. two to win. What is Ether and Steamworks? Uh, okay. Well, it's it's obviously a steampunk, uh, you know, magic. It's it's as if it's it's say Eberron. Um, but the question is: Is it a setting or is it a supplement for for such thing? Or even it could be a dwarven forgy. Um, sort of uh you know mini landscape for steampunk things and that's i think what i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it's it's landscape pieces for steampunk games uh and so it is literally ether and steam works you know you want to have some crazy airship or you know eldritch machine for your adventures to uh to play with and uh so that's what i'll go with you know those situations where you get it right and then talk yourself out of it and go with something else (laughs) it was worth a shot i'm familiar with those (laughs) so you you were originally right it is an eberron-esque uh setting It's, it's actually a d20 simplified d20 original system when I talked myself out of it because I was like, do we need another one of those? Whereas I'm like, oh, we do pieces. I, I might want those, you know. So I talked myself into what I wanted it to be. Well, I would say that, let's have a look, 115 people need one of those. Well, okay. So it, so congratulations. It is funded. It oh, okay. is. What was the funding it, level? Uh, four thousand dollars, and it's done five point two. Okay, respectable. Yeah. Uh, so it's an etherpunk tabletop RPG using a simplified D twenty system, high fantasy meets steampunk, vast impossible cities fly in the sky, airships of wood prop and balloon, magical atmospheres through space. It's that sounds nice. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, ten years ago, I'd have been all over that, but <laughs> fair enough. I'm just not feeling it right now. 
Uh, I, uh, like, uh, it's just I'm less interested now than I would have been at that time. Yeah. And as I say, I, I stand by my, my choice because my thing was, well, there's a lot of good steampunk games and settings out yeah. there we don't really need Ooh. one but if you had if you made cool landscape you know steampunk elements for it i would use those in my eberron game mm. so yeah. there you go i sadly have to declare peter the winner of our favorite oh, game i, I accept it i still stand uh, by my only just though only by a by sliver he got one point keith, keith i'm as shocked as you are quite frankly yeah <laughs> Okay, it's time to create your character. Got your dice? Yep, locked and loaded. Great, because we're rolling stats for this campaign. What? No point by? Nope. We're going to roll 3d6 in order. All right, ready? Off you go. Okay, well, if you say so. All right, first, first it's strength. This determines how brawny and powerful you are. I rolled a 10. Darn it. Ah, that's average strength. Perfectly respectable score. Now, now it's time for dexterity. How agile and nimble is your character? Okay, righty, three, seven, ten. Again. Average dexterity. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Now then, now then, it's time to roll your constitution. Uh, this uh. will determine how tough and healthy you are. Got it. Okay, uh, one, six, ten. Wow, these uh, bell curves are really driving the point home, aren't they? That's the laws of probability for you, my friend. Right, so that's average constitution. Now, go ahead and roll intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Okay. Uh, ten. Uh, ten. Uh, and... What? No, no, I thought it was twelve. No, it's actually ten. I have six tens. Wow, that's new. That's, uh, that's the most average set of stats I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. This isn't a D&D character, it's more a person. I mean, that's pretty much your average D&D character. Average D&D character? I've never seen a character about 20 in its primary ability score. Look, it's just maths. This is clearly an average uh, uh, person. Exactly. Not exactly a hero, is it? What sort of character can I play with these scores? That's the beauty of an array of scores like that. You can play a perfectly average member of any class. Yeah, do you know? Do you all know what average means? I know what average means. So, would you like to play an average wizard or an average rogue? Look, a character with ten in its primary ability score is not a typical example of that adventuring class. You're not taking into account selective bias, by which only individuals with certain qualifying scores would choose to enter such a profession. Don't be silly. Look, are you saying there's no such thing as an average doctor? Yes. Well, no. I mean, okay, obviously there's an average doctor, but the average doctor does not have an average intelligence score. They've been carefully selected by means of an extensive training and examination process. But you can't deny that some doctors are better at doctoring than some other doctors. Yes, but... And indeed, if there's an average doctor, by definition, there's a whole bunch of below-average doctors. No, doctors have to perform above average by definition. So you're saying the average doctor has to perform better than the average doctor? Ah, that's not what I meant. The very process of qualification and examination selects only above-average candidates for the profession. If you're a below-average doctor, they don't let you practice medicine. Yeah, but to be a rogue, it's not like you have to sit an exam, is it? 
Well, no. So it stands to reason that the average rogue has not been subjected to an extensive training and examination process. Not as such, no. And consequently, there is no force, social or otherwise, selecting population segments for any given class. That's true, but... And so therefore, there is such thing as an average rogue, and that rogue will have a dexterity score of 10. Get what you're saying. That's just not how it works, is it? My friend, the dice do not lie. Your logic is impeccable. So, what adventuring class would you like to be average at? This podcast malarkey is quite good fun. True. We do get to talk to interesting people. They are very interesting, and we've had all sorts. Big names, old and new. But how do we know who to talk to? Well, sometimes our patrons give us suggestions. What, so we try and get the people they want us to talk to on? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, and obviously they get the fullest version of the podcast. The fullest? They do? Yeah, yeah, you know, all the funny stories and random jokes and digressions. Really? People are missing out on those? Well, they're not news, are they? Oh, come on, but that's some of my favourite bits. How can you avoid missing out? Ah, well, that's easy. Uh, So just become a perfectly proper podcast patron. Perfectly proper podcast patron? What? How? Well, you head along to patreon.com slash morris and subscribe there. Oh, well, how much does that cost? $50 a month? You'd think. I mean, it's certainly worth $50 a month, but uh, just a dollar. Is it? Mate, that's like... 25 cents an episode. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Ah. Patreon.com.morris. M-O-R-R-U-S. M-O-R-R-U-S. Cheers. I'll check that out. So where did we get to last time? We covered a couple... Of the chapters, I believe, and think we were about to start on the dwarves before we ran out of oh, time. Yeah. Is that is that sound about right? Sure, that seems fine. Uh, so the book, of course, we are discussing is Exploring Eberron, which is uh, a book that I released on the DMs Guild. So so released at the the very end of July. It's been out for about a month. It's done quite well. We're in the adamantine tier. And this is basically a book that is uh, largely, um, you know, a lot of it is things that I've always wanted to write about in Eberron, uh, but never had the opportunity to. And in the case of Chapter 4 with the Murrholds, which uh, is where we're starting here, that actually is slightly different because that actually is something from Rising of the Last War, from the Last War. Mm. That when we were developing Eberron for fifth edition, one of uh, the the sort of things that that has been around in Eberron for a decade, or, you know, is is people saying, "Well, the dwarves just don't seem that interesting." Like when you oh, compare no. them to the yeah, when you compare them to the gnomes being like, "Ooh, they're like secret society assassins," and oh. the elves are either crazy warmongers or you know keeping their ancestors alive, uh, and the oh. halflings are riding dinosaurs. They're just sort of like, "Well, the dwarves seem a lot like dwarves," and oh. and part of that is is our focus had always been on looking at the dwarves as more oil barons is basically saying, well, if the dwarves have the greatest amount of resources, precious metals, alloys, things like that, 
that we're more playing with the idea of what kind of power does that give them. That it's more sort of saying this is a sort of Saudi Arabia analogy, that, you know, it's this small country that yet wields great economic power. Uh, and that was sort of where we were going with it. But, you know, again, it just didn't really make my dwarf character mm. particularly interesting. So in developing Rising from the Last War, we were basically like, well, what can we do to make the dwarves a little more just compelling as an idea? And so we picked up on a concept that was there from the start, but we just hadn't really done much with it, which is that the dwarves were essentially kicked out of a big underground empire mm. that was much more advanced than modern dwarven society. Um, and, and that it's sort of, you know, a prison colony type thing, that these were these sort of undesirables booted up to the surface, uh, but that in the vast interim, eventually they went back down below and discovered, oh, that ancient society had been completely wiped out by the aberrant forces known as the Dalkir. Mm. And so that there's this vast, essentially nation-sized dungeon underneath the Murholds uh, that are the ruins of their forebear civilization. Which are slowly kind of rediscovering, is that... Uh, right. Yeah. And so that's always been part of the story. What we decided to add is previously we'd always sort of set it as if it's just largely abandoned down there, just a big sort of empty ruin. And here we said, well, okay, but what if they went back down there and discovered that the Dalkir and their forces are still there? That they sort of poked around and, you know, think of it as, as Moria in Lord of the Rings, where, okay, it seems just dusty and empty until all the orcs come pouring out. And so basically we said, well, what if we discovered that there are mind flayers and Dolgons and Dolgrims and, you know, that there is an active uh, aberrant army down there and that for the last century, the dwarves have been actively fighting you know, basically they kicked the hornet's nest and now they're trying to keep the, the hornets down down below. Mm. Um, but you have this front line, you know, I would also compare it in tone to aliens where essentially the dwarves are on that front line fighting these, you know, horrible aberrant forces. Uh, so first off, it changes the idea that you have this ongoing war that if you want to fight the Dalkir, it's right over there. Um, but also the idea that the Dalkir, one of the things they do is they create what are called symbionts, which are living tools, living magic items. And they're things that you sort of fuse to your body to, to gain powers. And that's always been the case. Again, that's part of that's what the Dalkir do. But here what we said is, okay, the dwarves are fighting them. What if some of the dwarf clans essentially said, well, we're going to take this, you know, this is essentially technology. Uh, we're going to take this from our enemies and reverse engineer it. And, and basically, how can we use this alien technology that we've discovered? And so while some of the dwarf clans are saying we want nothing to do with this, it's horrible. You're attaching weird alien organs to your body. Uh, that some of the other yeah. clans are saying it's, it's a new, it's a new science. We can use this. This is a weapon. And so basically we've added this idea that in the, among the dwarves, all of them are fighting this ongoing war with alien forces. Uh, some of them are actually saying, well, we're adapting this alien organic technology ourselves and using it. And so that gives you this sort of twist. If you even look in, in Rising from the Last War, there's a picture of a dwarf which lo looks like a thin tentacle coming off his arm. It's called a tentacle whip. Mm -hmm. 
And so we get more into that to what does it look like in these clans where they've, they're sort of working with this technology and you have living clothing and weapons and things like that. Uh, we also do later in the book, part of the point is we introduce a lot more symbionts. Mm. Uh, so there's more options for people to do this. And we also introduce what are called ruin bound dwarves which are basically the idea that since the dwarves started fighting this war, that you've actually started getting dwarves who were born sort of warped or mutated with symbionts sort of as part of them, that it's this alien influence. So in fact, I will hold up for, we're going to do that thing of talking about the cover the other people can't see. You can see our friend Rusty here who actually has a crazy little sort of worm with an eye on its head poking out over his shoulder because he's a ruin-bound dwarf. And ruin-bound dwarves are especially good as warlocks. And that's part of the idea of when I say that they've been adapting this alien technology, part of how that can manifest is as a warlock. And so... This section on the dwarves, it talks about the realms below mm-hmm. this area uh, that they're they're in. It talks about the war, and it um, also goes into the differences between the clans, which we've named the major ruling clans long ago, mm-hmm. but we only have like a, a sentence or two about each of them. And here we get much deeper into them. Uh, one of the things that, you know, is, is again, their alliances and such to each other. One of the bits I kind of liked is it, for each one, uh, we have basically, you know, first off, we talk about their capital. We talk about their primary resources. What is the thing that they get their wealth from? Uh, but we also talk about their celebrated virtues. And basically, what are the things that they consider important and what's essentially their motto? So, you know, looking to Clan Doldoroon, they, uh, they celebrate courage, honor, and skill at arms. Mm. Uh, and their motto is resist corruption. And that they are basically the people who want nothing to do with all of the symbionts and such and, and feel that the clans that are messing with them are, are, you know, putting themselves in peril. Exactly. Uh, whereas, you know, Clan Narathun, uh, celebrates arcane knowledge, beauty, and mystery. Mm-hmm. And their, uh, their motto, you know, solve mysteries, but remain unknown. And so, you know, they're very much about the, oh, we want to find out, you know, these things and to see the beauty in things that other people fear. This also ties to part of the idea culturally that we get into the, st- at the start is that the dwarves love stories. And I wanted to sort of challenge this, you know, going against something like the Takani goblins, where they're very big on their history and they're very big on preserving, or the Tarnadal elves, who, again, are very much like we are going to reenact our ancestors. Uh, what I sort of went with with the dwarves was this idea that what they love is tall tales. Mm. They love just exaggerating. They love a good story. They don't really care if it's exactly true. They yeah, just, there's a, yeah, there's a bit in there where you talk about how, you know, two different two different storytellers will tell entirely different stories about the same event, and the right. villain and the actual uh, hero might be inverted in right. the same story. And and part of what I, what I picked up on that is the idea that the Terranidal, 
revere very specific ancestors. I, re- you know, mm-hmm. I I respect Bob Wilson, and he is the guy I'm I'm copying. Whereas what I said with the clans of the dwarves is they just basically say you have a clan. Um, well, we'll say Narathun. You know, so you have Clan uh-huh. Narathun, and that they'll just tell stories about Narathun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Narathun uh-huh. did this. And there was that time that Narathun tricked the Witch of the West to giving her her shoes. And the point is, we don't really care exactly which Narathun it was. It was just the hero Narathun. And yeah. that as a dwarf, you're not trying to like get exactly specific, but you're trying to basically embody the the virtues of your clan and be oh. so amazing that when people tell stories about Narathun, they'll be telling your story. Right. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. trying to add to the story of the clan, but we sort of just take the clan as this iconic, idealized character. And part of that is because it makes it very easy for players to just make up stories about well let me tell you about the time Narathun did this thing because mm. if it's about secrets and magic that's probably a thing they did yeah um yeah and so so we've done that at great length but what i like about it is to me it gives the dwarves a lot of interesting character of first you have this war that's shaped them and that is ongoing you have that decision of how do i feel about the symbionts do i embrace it or do i think it's horrifying uh, and then you also have these basic virtues of your clan that are a quick, easy, this is what the direction I'm taking. With also the point that these are the big clans. You can make your own clan and say, well, our virtues are this. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, our motto. Um, so I feel that I'm pretty happy with it. Of, of Again, I really liked the idea when we came up with it for Rising from the Last War, but we just didn't have any room to give any details on it. Mm. And so, as I said, this is something that, is pretty much entirely new for this book, but I do feel that it makes the dwarves a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I love the idea of them rediscovering the the realm below mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and these great, big, enormous cities and halls that existed what was it centuries before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, which uh, which they were forced out of. Um, mm-hmm. how, how much are they? I mean, before they started rediscovering it, how much were they aware? that those places existed or was it just myth the the general idea is that they knew they existed but they were sort of sealed away they weren't supposed Mm. to go back there because they were exiles yeah Yeah. and i forget where it put in sort of exactly how they finally went out in an earlier version it was something where clan kandarik had basically been told it's your job to keep the gates until all the clans come together. And when they finally came together, they were like, oh, hey, what do you know? You, you met those conditions. We're opening the doors now. And I don't remember 100% what we did say about... Uh, early uh, in the 10th century, miners in multiple holes broke through to the realm below. Yeah. So we're just saying that... Uh, see, there you go, because you have it up. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically we're just saying that, that they were kicked out onto the surface... Mm. And that it's only, you know, relatively recently that they were re-engaging mining efforts so significantly to go deep. Mm. And again, it is one of the things of they they tell their stories about how their people were heroes who were, uh, you know, went out to explore or whatever. But, you know, we all know that they were actually undesirables who were kicked out and the doors closed behind them. I've noticed like throughout the book, you have this uh, kind of, 
theme or technique of sort of not necessarily stating how something is, Mm -hmm. but giving some suggestions of how it might be, and then essentially leaving it up Mm -hmm. to the DM in question. Like, uh, when you were talking about uh, the dwarves, I think there was one version of it where it was a bunch of criminals that were thrown out. Right. Another version of it where where it was... Yeah, where it was uh, some heirs that were asked to go and prove themselves or something. So there were, there were sort of like four or five different stories relating to the exact same thing. And you kind of say, it might have been one of these. Nobody really knows. Well, part of the point to me, and this is just generally part of the philosophy of Eberron all along, has been that what I want from a setting is I want it to be a source of inspiration. Mm. And I want it, and I get a lot of people actually asking me very specific questions. You know, yeah. how does the law of inheritance affect, you know, this thing? And my answer is, is how do you want it to affect this mm. thing? Because ultimately all this is, is a foundation for us to create stories. And so I'm saying, I'm going to tell you these three ideas, which one strikes your interest, which is going yeah. to work with the story you want to tell. And part of what I also like about that is that it means I read, I wrote this book. And yet if I play in your Eberron campaign, I don't know which of those ideas you chose. Yeah. And oh. so it's back to the, Instead of revealing secrets and, oh, players can't read this because if players have read it, then then they uh, they know everything. Here it's like, well, oh. players can totally read it because they don't know what you've decided. And so, again, it is, as I say, you know, we generally do in this say it might be this or it might be that rather than it is this. Because I want to see, well, which of these grabs you? Which of these makes you? Do you have a head cannon in your own head? Do you, in your own head, do you, have you chosen which of those things? For many things, you know, part of it is that I don't make a choice until I'm telling a story that it matters. So the biggest example of this is that I have given out many possible explanations for the morning, but I do not have a personal headcanon version of the morning because I've never had to. I've never Mm. actually had to solve it. I mean, and and I flip that around uh, in one of my novels. People give an answer for the morning, but frankly... Everybody else in the novel is like, that's really stupid. And like, yeah. there's no, no proof that the theory they have is correct. Um, but yeah, to me, the morning has, is always something I use as what sets the mood, what drives the current Cold War. And I've never mm. run in 15 years a campaign in which I've actually had people find the answer just because it's not a story I particularly want to tell. Mm. And, and if I did, I would have to make that decision. I just never have. Um, so basically, the point is, in a lot of these cases, it is like me sitting down and thinking about the morning and saying, well, I can tell you four things it could have been. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I'm like, this one's right. Uh, because until you have to tell that specific story, it doesn't really it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so that's the whole point to me is that I've said all along – I want you to take this world and make it your world. I'm trying to give you something to work with, but mm-hmm. I want that to be inspiration, not something that limits you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so I was going to say, um, the next chapter is the Thunder Sea, which I can't wait to dive into because that's my favorite of those four. Literally dive in. 
See what you did Literally there. Literally diving. diving. See what I did there. Completely by accident, unfortunately. It wasn't a, it wasn't a clever pun. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before we do that, shall we announce some winners? Let's do it. Uh, Let's we do it. Yes. Because I bet... Oh, hear all these limericks. Yes. Well, we're not going to hear all of them because there's quite a lot, but we'll hear at least yes. some of them. Um, so I have to say it was incredibly hard. Everybody who participated mm-hmm. did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, it was, uh, we really set ourselves up a bit of a disaster. I, I almost just resulted to rolling dice, uh, because it was that, that difficult. But I finally did choose on some things, mainly on the limericks. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll also point out just, just randomly the first question that we asked was what show, what's a show you could see in, yes. in Sharn? And what was interesting to me was just checking sort of the popularity. You know, this helped us see, well, what are the most popular shows? Mm. And I will say that the the most popular show with five votes uh, was The Late Count, a, uh, a comedy, a bit of a, a, you know, drawing room comedy by the Bard Kessler uh, mm-hmm. about a, a Carnathy count who's become undead, uh, you know, sort of a weekend at Bernie's scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that proved quite, you know, quite popular. People like the comedies. But then we did have uh, four votes for the play Five Lives and two votes for The Broken Sword, mm-hmm. both of those by the same up-and-coming playwright, Luca Ciara, and and so uh and which is very serious and thought provoking. And so technically the late count, Kessler wins with five votes, but Luca gets six votes for her body of work. Right. So, yeah. you know, just for those keeping score at home. Um and and you know, other than that, two votes for Tears Tears, two for Facade, you know. So that um, one was the but, factual question, wasn't it? Did everybody oh. get that? Everybody, uh, no, there was one mistake, I will say. Someone Ooh, said cool. they wanted to see five faces, whereas, in fact, the play is five lives. Ah. We also did have have uh, someone who, who got deeper and more obscure and said that they wanted to see Martin Westerberg uh, called out that he would like to see the Battle of the Five Ducks. Uh, which, uh, which is another of Kessler's works, but is mentioned, I don't think it's mentioned in Rising from the Last War. So I'm saying dug a little deeper and we appreciate that. Good work, Martin. (laughs) Unfortunately, we did have to, to pick three. I'm going to read those three, but then we'll go straight to their limericks just because often it was the limerick that did it, you know, because basically again, the the first question was purely factual, and again, mm-hmm. pretty much everyone got it. It was just fun to see what they picked. The second question, what caused the mourning, there is no right answer to. And so you just had to give me an interesting answer, and all of the answers were interesting. Uh, so really it comes down to the limerick as the, the thing that can sort of be judged. Uh, so first of all, uh, our first winner is Michael Harrison. Uh, who w- wanted to see the late count, uh, but what? his his limerick is, the thoughts of a war forged on lust are likely to leave one nonplussed. 
Should they oil their joints or round off their points? Is it better to rust or combust? Love it. <laughs> and I have to say, you've got you've got a nice bouncy rhythm there. It's mm. definitely an Eberron yeah. theme, and I like that it's a little risque. You know, that's mm. that's sort of a bit of a tradition with limericks. Uh, and I also liked the better to rust or combust. You know, it's got a little bounce. You've got the double rhyme in there. Mm. Uh, so so congratulations. Uh, Michael Harrison, well done. Ooh, brother, brother. Uh, the second winner is Mark Blunden, uh, who all who wanted to see the Changeling's prophecy, um, and his limerick is mm-hmm. a young Kenku mage from Andare brewed a potion from Barrel Girl hair. He cocked up a leg and popped out an egg, and that's how you get an owl bear. <laughs> now, obviously, we know that, that you know, we've been owlbears are a subject near and dear to our hearts. And likewise, again, it's snappy, it rolls off the tongue, and it's a little, you know, a little, mm-hmm. a little risque, which, which, you know, I feel like with both of those ones, I can imagine these being told in, you know, repeated in, in a dingy tavern in Lower yes, Dura. tavern, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations, Mark. And then our final one goes a little deeper into the lore. And this is, you know, we talked about Dakan last time. Uh, so Dylan Ramsey, who also wanted to see the late count, as I said, the late count, very popular. Um, and, uh, had an interesting theory that, that the morning could be caused by the destruction of Dern the Corruptor, one of the Dalkir and its essence leaking in and transforming uh, the the plane. Uh, but as I said, his limerick goes, goes much deeper into the lore. Ooh. And so you have six kings fell under the dirge singer's spell. Her dream of an empire sounded quite swell. Yes, with wit and with brawn, the six built Dakan, and Jazal was secretly Sorakel. Nice. Now, again, while not quite as body or snappy, that is a a good conversion to limerick form of the history of the Goblin Empire of Dakan. With that added, ooh, could Jazal be Sorakel, which would be a very interesting twist. Um, so I approved of of both the the form and the lore. Fantastic. Uh, I do have to say. All of them were fantastic. I might read one or two more. I, I particular honorable mentions have to go to Doran Narathun, uh, who, uh, presented their entire, uh, their entire entry in character. Yes, uh, I remember that one. That was a long one as well. That entry it was, was a very there. long one, but very well done and really hit on a lot of the points that we just talked mm-hmm. about, about the Narathun dwarves. And again, uh, bravo, Geek Pantheon. Uh, you know, it was a great honor to hear from Doran Narathun. Just didn't quite uh, match the others. Uh, Lee Donovan, I've noted. Let me see if I can find uh, Lee's, um, Lee's poem. All right, Lee's poem. 
Uh, yes. So Lee Lee had a twist that I like, which the problem is it's mm-hmm. almost impossible for me to read this, but I'll read it anyway. Mm-hmm. A Zill yeah. scholar was caught in a mire, unsure how to pronounce sire. To Korenberg he <laughs> fled, to the library instead, to see if they'd help with his query. <laughs> now, this is, of course, because there is great debate over yes. how to pronounce the name that of clever. that country, which can be Sire, Siri, or Seer. Mm. And so I appreciate uh-huh. that he rhymed it two different ways. Uh, yes. You know, of course, at the same time, it means it's impossible to read it straight through and have a, unless you say choir or uh, Miri. Uh, so, you know, I had to, I had to deduct a point <laughs> from that, but I do have to say, Lee, bravo. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, and I also liked, um, Sarah okay, Van yeah, Fossen. message from Lena. Yeah, Sarah <laughs> Van Fossen, uh, says, there once was a, was a Kenneth named Aaron, whose constructs were exceedingly daring. With his soul he sold, but it wasn't for gold. And now poor Siri is all barren. <laughs> and, oh. and I gotta say, I I think that's uh, that's great. You know, it is again touching on the history. Aaron DeCanneth is the creator of the Warforged, and and it was very very hard. You know, ultimately it was a bit of a toss up. So so Sarah, excellent work, and also she would like to see Five Lives by Lucasiara. So someone at least wants to see a serious play instead of your gosh darn comedy. Yeah, yeah, late count. These trivial um, comedies, but but again, fantastic work by everybody. It it really I I appreciate you all, and uh, thanks thanks to everyone for their contributions. Right, so just to recap, the three winners were Dylan Ramsey, Michael yeah. Harrison, and Mark Blunden, all of whom will be getting a hardcover copy of this book. Mm-hmm. And those uh, those uh, honourable mentions, I, I mm-hmm. assume they probably do have PDFs anyway, but we could buy them a PDF of the book, couldn't no, we? No, I'd, yeah, I'd be up for that. I'd support that. If, if they haven't got it already. So, mm-hmm. um, you guys, if you just want to drop us an email at morrispodcast at gmail.com and give me your address, I will make sure mm-hmm. those books go out to you. Nice. Or you could not give me your address and I'll just keep the books. Be yeah, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. All right, since since time's a wasting, do we want to yes. to jump into the thunder sea? Later in? Jump into the thunder sea. Wait a minute. Let me let me get my swimming trunks on, and then it's not a sight you want to see, is it? Yeah. No. no. Uh, so so Lost I have a pair of speedos. <laughs> so I have to say, this comes back to this is one of the the points where. This this idea stems from the very beginning of the setting. When I first submitted it to Wizards yeah. of the Coast, I included, you know, details on the idea that the you know D and D has always had sentient you know sentient species under the water, and in the case of things like the Suagin, they especially in third edition are actually mm. presented as being superior to humans in all their mental stats. And, you know, it's this sort of, okay, so why are they sort of presented as monsters as opposed to having their own civilizations? Mm. If they have their own civilizations, how do they interact with the surface? How do they feel about people just essentially sailing across their airspace? Um, and so it was something that I presented in the original setting guide, 
But as with many things, you know, there's just only so much space in a book. Underwater adventuring is is difficult. And so it sort of got cut out of the the original, you know, uh, Eberron campaign setting book. And we've sort of touched on it in things like City of Stormreach and Secrets of Zendrick. Um, but it's always been something that I wanted to delve back into. Mm-hmm. Originally, I had planned to talk about just all the aquatic civilizations. But what you get into is there's 10 seas. You know, that's a lot of space that, frankly, mm-hmm. they should be as diverse as continents yeah. in, uh, you know, on the surface. There's no reason to assume that Suagam would have one single monolithic culture over the entire world. Mm-hmm. And so I ultimately ended up just picking the Thunder Sea to narrow down. The Thunder Sea is the, uh, the sea that lies between Zendrik, the southern coast of Corvair, and uh, Arenal. And so basically it's sort of, in my opinion, I like to say it's the Corvair of the oceans in that it's the one that you're most likely as an adventurer to, to find yourself wandering over with the going back and forth to Zendrik. So that's why I sort of picked that as, as this is the one that with the Zendrik, having the Zendrik to Corvair path, it's going to be very uh, important to adventurers. Mm-hmm. Now, Russ, you said it was your, your favorite section. Why is that? Partly because, as you say, uh, under, underwater stuff isn't really well developed in D&D at all. And yeah. so this, this is a kind of an opportunity just to play in something a bit alien and a bit different. Mm-hmm. And the different oh. cultures that you've delved into here, the Smargin mm-hmm. and the Sea Elves and, and, and things like that, there's just stuff you just don't really see much in D&D. Mm-hmm. And so I just find the whole idea fascinating. Plus you've got these enormous giant sleeping monsters at the bottom of the sea. And, which and are sort this of like is, miles long, these big kaiju-like things, which are miles long, which I love. <laughs> and and, uh, and this actually sort of one of the original, you know, the, the, the wacky story behind this is in the original setting that uh, I, I presented because it was just wacky yeah, ideas. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we evolved yeah. it a lot. In the original setting, I actually had a, a actual essentially Midgard serpent that mm-hmm. you actually had essentially a giant Eberron literally yeah. wrapped around the world down yeah. below. Oh. And that part of the idea is this, this giant slumbering, you know, world-sized serpent. And that the Suwagan, part of their goal was always the idea that the Suwagan had magic related to eating things. That the Malenti came from them consuming a sea elf and replacing it. And mm. that their grand goal of their society was to eat this giant serpent. You know, hmm. like that they were going to find a way to do it. Um, anyhow, we evolved away from that. And, you know, again, it was a crazy, wacky idea. Uh, we changed, I changed the progenitor myth to Eberron being the world, not being mm-hmm. an actual serpent. Um, but I still love that idea of them interacting with these vast slumbering, uh, things. And so what you have here are what we call the Carlasa, which, as you said, are these miles long kaiju like beasts. Mm. Uh, that nonetheless, they are slumbering and the Suhagen, they aren't actually trying to eat the whole thing, but they are nonetheless taking these slumbering kaiju and basically using them as resources. Mm. They are actually draining their blood. They're cutting off their, their, you know, scales there. And, and it's sort of that idea that I always just love of, you know, part of the basic principle of Eberron is that if you had this magical stuff, what could you do with it? 
And it's the way we've always said, oh, people make stuff out of dragon scale armor, dragon bone stuff. Well, they've just got this big supply of these creatures we generate incredibly fast. And so they've built cities around these Carlasa. Mm. And and that basically a lot of their sort of technology, if you will, is is based. You know, they use the you know, the blood of, of the Carlasa of Hal, uh, Kith, you know, really helps transmutation magic. And that's part of how they do all their mage breeding and such mm. is, you know, drawing on these resources. Another wacky little idea is that you have these slumbering kaiju and that uh, what we went with is the idea that each of them is tied to a particular plane. Yeah, yeah. And that that sort of reflects the the powers and abilities that you can gain from harvesting their stuff. But also the idea that they are dreaming, but instead of dreaming in Dalkor, the, the region of dreams, mm-hmm. they actually dream in the plane they are connected to. Mm. And that anyone who sleeps within 13 miles of them is drawn into that dream. So it's also a wacky little twist of it's a way for people, low level characters to potentially travel to the planes because you're mm-hmm. not traveling, you're dreaming. So if you are in Halkith, you will actually dream in Kithri and it's a chance to explore Kithri. You know, you're just dreaming. You can't yeah, permanently yes. affect things. But if you die, you just wake up. So it's a weird opportunity to sneak in uh, some some planar uh, exploration in a very dangerous place. There's you know, some shades of Cthulhu in, in there as well. Big slumbering creature at the bottom of the sea, sort of infiltrating and, people's dreams. And yeah. and that's also part of the question of the Carlasa. Is coming back to your point of I like to leave unanswered questions. Is the question of are the Carlasa uh, were, are they children of Eberron who are sort of guardians, you know, mm. are here to help us if things get terrible? Or are they, in fact, children of Kyber who will one day wake and, you know, destroy the world uh, with their rampages? And yeah, it's up to the Game Master yeah. to decide. You, you mentioned at one point that the Trask might be... One sure. of these, one of these, although it would be quite a small. I said it was quite a small one, yeah. but but nonetheless, that that's the point. If you wanted to put the Trask, you know, the Trask doesn't have an official place in Eberron, and this mm-hmm. would certainly be a way to put it in to say, oh, it's it's a form of Carlasa, and uh, and as I said, if I did that, I would definitely add some additional effects based on what plane uh, it's tied to. Yeah, but that's definitely a way if you want to have a Carlasa waking. Uh, you know, that would be a way to play that, play around with that. Hmm. Certainly, uh, as you mentioned, Russ, you know, basically the idea is it is split between two major civilizations, the eternal dominion of the Suwagan and the Valrian protectorate of the sea elves. Um, and then you have the merfolk as basically these sort of neutral nomad, you know, nomadic travelers who sort of move between the two. And generally staying further in the upper, upper waters, whereas the Swagan are down in the deeps. Um, and so it explores those three cultures, uh, primarily along with the sort of threat of aboliths in, in dark places. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things I'll note is that the Valrian protectorate, which is the sea elves, 
uh, that sea elves are basically jerks. And a lot of people have come out as, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, sea elves are basically the worst. You know, they've sort of essentially colonized this, this, you know, they wanted a buffer zone around Aranol. Hmm. And so they uh-huh. made sea elves, you know, they sort of used magic to, to, uh, create the first sea elves essentially to govern these territories yeah. that they have yeah. seized around the island and they're they're pretty awful yeah I'm always just blown away by how uh, how much stuff you must cram into them one of the uh, the other details I will throw in is is a lot of people had asked if we were going to have playable Swagen. And mm-hmm. I thought Ooh. about it, but I decided not to because I just find the whole Swagen technically can only be out of water four hours before mm. they start to suffocate. And I'm like, that's a pretty big, you know, limitation mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on adventurers. Yeah, unless you were literally going to have an entire underwater campaign, I suppose. Right. But yeah. And yeah. and so I chose not to do that. But what we did do is uh, is have introduced the idea of the Malenti. So Malenti have Ooh. always been part of Suwagan lore. Mm. And traditionally, what's said is that if Suwagan and uh, sea elves live nearby, that right. there's just a chance that a Suwagan will be randomly born, indistinguishable from a sea elf. And that's always right. seemed like a very random, weird thing to me. So from the start in Eberron, I said, oh, no, that's not sure. They, they want you to think that. But really, mm. it's part of a magical process where they will grab a sea elf and eat it. And basically, the the Suwagan who consumes the thing undergoes a ritual where they become it. So they aren't just born looking like a sea elf. They have consumed another a sea elf and taken its identity. And that the Malenti were essentially created to be undercover agents in the Valrian Protectorate. Right. But that the point of that is everyone's heard, oh, Malenti, they're Suwagan that look like sea elves. And I'm like, okay, but why just sea elves? And if once we've got our principle that we can eat a creature and replace it, that you are what you eat, who's to say they aren't doing that with many other species? Mm. And that there aren't dwarf malenti or elf malenti or human malenti. And so what we've actually done is introduced malenti as a background, where basically the point is any character could be oh, yes, I look like a dwarf fighter from the Murrholds, but I'm actually a Suwagan mole mm. uh, who ate that dwarf and took his place. And oh. But doesn't that make your character evil? Well, I mean, it depends. <laughs> maybe... Uh, evil someone and they their place. Maybe, yes, maybe they were a really bad person. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> And, and of course, Eberron has always been a little bit about when you look to the good and evil, it's a question of what are you doing with it? Why did you do hmm. it? What is, what is your driving purpose? Or is your end goal evil? Or did you do an evil thing for a good purpose? Right. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not nice. I, no, I grant you that. <laughs> and, I think if someone uh, did that to me, I'd be annoyed. Oh, yeah, for but, sure. So anyhow, I like I like sort of what we've introduced with the Malenti and uh, and such. Hmm. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Can we very quickly whip through the plane? Really, really super quick. We can't do all of them. There's too many. Well, but, talk um, about it. Yeah, I'll talk about it for just a moment. And, and I also do want to mention one other thing before I go. Yep. 
so we'll say with the planes, the main just, you know, we don't have time. There's 13 of them or 12. Yeah, 13 of them. Uh, plus Kyber, we talk about with the demi planes. Oh, and I love the, the demi main planes. Point, yeah. yeah, the main goal of it was to introduce this in a way not just that you could have an adventure there but also to really talk about how the planes can touch on any adventure mm. what are magic items that could come from the planes what are the impact of manifest zones why will creatures from the planes come to Eberron yeah. and so just throughout it with all of them uh, I tried to first off really explain like how is Rija not just the plane, elemental plane of ice. How mm. is Fernia not just the plane of yeah. fire? Um, and so part of it is I really tried to really make sure each of them had their own really unique story. Uh, but second, as I said, to have ways that you can use these in any adventure, you know, even if you're not actually going to the planes, since planar travel is usually a pretty high level sort of concept. For yeah, characters. yeah. And I'm very happy with all the stories. A lot of the planes actually were more interesting once we delved into them than I expected them to mm. be, frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the idea of those sort of uh, underground demi-planes that you can actually wander into by accident. Yes. And then the, just basically the rules of physics are different there. Yep. And, and that was very much our sort of uh, journey to the center of the Earth. Uh, you know, Agartha, you know, is always the idea that yeah. Eberron is again that pulp world. Mm. And so we really wanted, you know, I always wanted that idea that you go down the right tunnel and you'll find, you know, an inner sun. That's almost a setting in like itself, that. though. An, un uh, it an underground rail with Debbie planes in it is almost a, you know, it's right, such, a, such a big concept. You could make an entire book just on that. Yeah. And that very mm -hmm. much also is part of the war below we didn't talk about is this mm -hmm. is part of the idea of the old dwarven civilization of part of what made mm -hmm. that dwarven civilization remarkable is that they were tapping into demiplanes. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, that, uh, that they were uh, harvesting resources of demiplanes, which, you know, again, you just can't find in the real mm -hmm. world. Um, I do want to mention one other thing just while I'm here because, yeah. you know, yes. I got to. Yes. So obviously uh, on my website, keith-baker.com, I write a lot of different things about Eberron. And if you're mm. looking for more Eberron, you could go there. Uh, but I also just want to say that my company, Together Studios, also in October, I think uh, it hopefully will be, we will be releasing the Adventure Zone Bureau of Balance. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, which yes. is a, uh, a card-driven collaborative storytelling game. Um, oh. that, that again, we, we funded back in January. It's about to come out. Uh, I'm, I really enjoy it. It's very much what we were trying to do with it is say, Hey, you're a person who likes D and D, but you have four friends who have never played it and it's a little too much for them, mm. but you can sit down with this and have a fun, funny, uh, fantasy adventure oh. with your friends in about 90 minutes. Hmm. Fantastic. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's casual. And if you do want to know more about that or to know when you can get it, uh, that go to theadventurezonegame.com. Sounds like we should drag you back on for another episode. I would, I would be happy to come back when that's out. Cause as I said, I'm really happy with, with how that turned Ooh. out. And, uh, again, yeah, we're out of time, but, but I'd love to come back and talk about that once it's actually out in the world. We will do that. When does that come out? October, you said. It's, it's yeah. in October. I, I should know a perfect date off the top of my head, but I don't. But basically, I mean, it's it's all finished at the printer, and it's all now oh. a question of just how long does it take to yeah. to get to us. Brilliant. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you so Sounds much, good. Keith. Great times.
Yeah. Yeah, glad to be um, here. And again, I love the limericks, people. <laughs> they were great. Oh. They were great. It's a shame that there were so many of them because uh, we don't really have time to read them all now. But what I might no. what I might do is read some of them out and just stick them on a separate little episode of their own. Maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Please if do. If I have time. It's good stuff. Look forward to it. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a blast talking to you, Keith. Always enjoy it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you again soon, all about the Adventure Zone game. Mm. We could just do it on TikTok. Or TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're, switching, we're switching the entire podcast to TikTok uh, mm-hmm. exclusively from, yeah. from next week anyway. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's only in 30 second blast, so quite frankly, <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> so with that uh, next week we have got Mike Olsen coming on who uh, is working with Jim Zub on a, a comic book called Skull Kickers which has a oh, yeah. D&D mm. adventure 60 page D&D adventure attached to it yeah nice I've heard Skull Kickers before yeah so that's next oh, okay. week and then the week after we've got Mark Langworthy coming on to talk about the Hellboy RPG oh, oh finally yes yeah. Yeah. Oh, great to see Mark yeah, yeah. Uh, Hellboy. well until next yeah. week anyway thank you everyone so much for listening <laughs> goodbye for me Ross that's goodbye for me Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Players. and goodbye for me Keith Baker apparently I now have to read this to you This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Uh, He's having a bit of trouble with Hudson and his dog food, which he's decided now he no longer likes. So what, what I tried doing was I got some chicken and I buried it under his dog food, thinking that'll mm-hmm. fool him and I'll have to eat the dog food to get out the chicken. So what does he do? He picks up the bowl, turns it upside down, throws the dog food all over the kitchen and then just eats the chicken and walks off. You gotta give him props for brains, though. Uh, that is, he's like, you thought you had one on me.